He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Good morning, Secret Agent Man. Hey, Secret Agent Man, Dick Morris here. Hello. Dick. And I have a surprise for y'all. My daughter Gabrielle and her and her husband Nick are here right now. And let me just say, have them say hi. Hi, everyone. It's it's great to be here. Hello, New York. Hello, New York. Nick has uh, Nick's father has some history. Uh, he was a nuclear physicist in Russia. And uh, lived in the city that they put all of their scientists in, in the Ural Mountains, so they can keep tabs on them. And uh, he transferred to Chernobyl um, after the after the accident. Uh, he said to help clean up, but in fact, it was to be closer to the, to the border with the West because he planned to defect. And uh, he worked there for several years, and then. He uh, asked for a vacation in uh, in Prague, which was a perk that you could get if you worked for the government, and um, he uh, and he got it. And while he was in while he was in uh, Prague, he stopped at the American embassy, jumped off the bus that was carrying the Russians, and walked into the embassy and defected, and uh, came to the United States. And uh, Nick was born in the U.S. two years later. Beautiful and thing. whenever I talk to Nick, I'm always reminded of the value and the importance of freedom. So um, I'm here, as you know, with my friend Doug DePiro, Hello, who Dick. is uh, a Renaissance man. He is irreplaceable <laughs> and irrepressible, <laughs> and you've all come to know him pretty well. He yeah. also works on cars and yeah. paintings and all kinds of neat stuff. Love it. All right. So the uh, highlight of the week is obviously. Tried to run, tried to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side, yeah. The Mar-a-Lago break-in. Horrible. Uh, the president called me uh, the, the night of the break-in. Mm-hmm. Monday night, and uh, and we spoke actually twice that night, mm-hmm. and uh, his he was not at all shaken by it. He not was angry. He was furious, and he was de- and made him even more determined to run again. Uh, he said, "They're not going to intimidate me. They're not going to uh, freak me out." Uh, and he was very fierce about his determination not to be rattled and not to be driven out of the race by this. Um, it is, in fact, I think, absolutely horrible. Um, to let you in on something, my choice of music to introduce this segment was the Horst Wessel song. It was Adolf Hitler's favorite song uh, and uh, Nazi marching music, but the station wouldn't let me put that on. <laughs> they didn't like the idea of Hitler's voice, but yeah. uh, this comes as close to Hitler yeah. as we can get. Disgusting. The idea that they would break into the home, well, search warrant, the home of the former president of the United States, and that they would uh, go in and, and with total police state tactics, ban his staff from watching them do it. They were they carried firearms with them, and it, it's, it's absolutely chilling. Uh, it shows the desperation that the Democrats have in this, in this year. And there's no coincidence that the break-in took place. The break-in, the, the, the yeah, yeah we'll the, break-in the break-in, yeah, took place when Trump is on a winning streak of winning the primaries. Mm. The Democrats' first strategy, which I talk about in my book, The Return, Trump's winning, Trump's comeback in 2024, was that they would gin up a Republican primary against him and try to deny him the nomination. Well, their first strategy was the Russian hoax to fabricate this entire episode that he colluded with Russia. Divide and conquer. When there's no evidence at all of that. Then after they abandoned that, they dug up a phony 
letter from Ukraine that 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 they said meant that the Clinton would that Trump was using Ukraine to get Biden and uh, actually brought an impeachment over that, which failed, and then a second impeachment over Trump's critique of the election. Then they stole the election by uh, drop boxes, forged ballots, voting people that were dead, people voting twice. And uh, that, And when that failed to discredit Trump, uh, they held the hearing on the January 6th riot and tried to pretend that Trump had led an insurrection against the American government, mm. the only unarmed insurrection in history. Yeah. And... The, uh, and, and all of that, they hoped, would create, make him toxic. I believe one of our listeners once called up and said, Trump is toxic, and I took his scalp. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, Literally. Uh, yeah. The, uh, but the theory was that they'd make him toxic and that the Republicans wouldn't nominate him, and they'd nominate nice old Ron DeSantis, who's a, a much kinder, gentler, sweeter Donald Trump. Great guy, but... Who they Trump. felt could accomplish Trump's policies, but without his uh, personality. Uh, and they felt that the Trump people would go for that and they could get rid of Trump. And all of that failed. Uh, Trump has had his endorsed candidates win, I think it's 192 primary fights and they've lost 10. <clears throat> and they've had a total winning streak in swing states like Michigan, Arizona, Connecticut just this week. Uh, Wisconsin just this week. And it's clear that nobody is going to be able to stop Trump from getting the Republican nomination. And anybody who tries it, anybody who tries to contest him in a primary is going to get massacred. Uh, Winston Churchill once said that fighting a land war in Asia against Japan was like going into the water to fight the shark. <laughs> and I can't think of a better description of a Republican primary against Donald Trump going into the water, the Republican electorate, to defeat somebody who is a hero to the party. <laughs> so the Democrats get it, but they have to get rid of Donald Trump. It's not that the Democrats have to win. It's not that they want to control the White House. It's that they have to get rid of that man, Donald Trump, because of his singular ability to take their three of their four key constituencies away from them. Um, Blue-collar voters, who were once the staple of the Democratic Party, when you get off the plane or the boat and you arrive in America, the very first thing you learn is that the working class votes Democrat and the rich people vote Republican. Mm. And Trump flipped that completely. The rich people now vote Republican, now vote Democrat, and the working class votes Republican. A total flip. And now he's taking the Latino vote away because they're patriots and they can't stand how the Democratic Party hates America and wants to tear it down and uh, tears down our statues, tears down our heroes, rewrites our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean – I just read that in, in the New York Times, actually, that the Monticello, Jefferson's home, when you go there, all you hear about is Sally Hemings, the slave who he impregnated. And the whole thing, I mean, you literally go there and you say, this is a, the house of an adulterer. And, uh, I mean, even, even the Federalist pamphlets attacking him in the election of 1800 didn't go as far as his own historical society does in defaming him. Never mind that he pioneered the idea of independence that he articulated for the first time ever in any published document that all men are created equal. Uh, the, the, never mind any of that. He, he had slaves and he had a child with one of them. Uh, so the, the, the Latinos can't handle that and they're patriots so they vote Republican increasingly. Millennials are saying that their future has been eroded, compromised, and given away by this inflation. And that in this environment of close to 10% inflation, how the hell are they going to raise kids, start a family, move out of mom's basement, get an apartment or a house? The obstacles are just incredible. So Trump has eaten away, ripped away, the innards of the Democratic Party, and they have got to get rid of him. Now, where is all of this heading? 
I believe that their ultimate strategy is to in, is to indict Donald Trump, and they hope that they can indict him for something serious enough that the law would prohibit him from running for president again. If the indictment is over the records, the archive stuff, uh, there's the statute says if you mishandle uh, gov- seek government documents, you can't ever run for public office again. Hmm. But that's insane. That's absurd. Uh, the, there is no way that there's no way that a uh, I'm sorry. Can you guys cut out? There is no way that a uh, that the court is going to allow a statute like this to supersede the Constitution, which sets up the qualifications for being president. You have to be 35. You have to have lived in the U.S. for 14 years. You have to be native-born. And they would never, and, and they would never approve of a statute that says also you can't be convicted of this offense. So that's fake. That's ridiculous. The only threat that could be serious is the Fourteenth Amendment, uh, and you all know the history of that. I've gone through it. Uh, after the Civil War, when the Congress passed the Thirteenth, Fourteenth, and Fifteenth Amendment, the Congress that came to office, that took office after the election of eighteen sixty-six, included representatives from Louisiana, Georgia. Florida and I think South Carolina, who were states that had seceded and had satisfied the requirements of the Andrew Johnson administration for getting readmitted as a state, which were very lenient. And they sure enough elected congressmen and senators who were Confederate generals, Confederate officials. The vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, was elected to the Congress from his home state of Georgia. So the Republicans looked at these traitors walking into Congress Mm. who would absolutely turn back the clock and destroy the rights of black people that they had just made liberated. And uh, they said, no, we're not going to have this. So they included in the 14th Amendment a provision that if you were involved in an insurrection against the American government, you could not hold public office in America. Okay. So what they're trying to do is right. to bend the facts of the January 6th riot uh, to pretend that it was an insurrection that Donald Trump was leading and was in, in which he was involved. Right. Despite the fact that he asked people to go home peacefully, that he, uh, that he urged them not to do anything against the police, and that all he was doing was expressing his opinion – with which I agree that the election was rigged and fixed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's entitled to his opinion. And how the hell is that leading an insurgency? Well, the January 6th committee came up against that problem and they couldn't answer it. So what they're now planning to do is to search through all of his belongings, all of his papers, and come up with something that they can use to frame him, some out-of-context quote that they can use. And this is a fishing trip. Uh, they they raided his house. The documents are an excuse. They needed that to get the judge to sign a warrant. Uh, and, and ultimately, nobody's going to go crazy that these documents are gathering dust Excuse in me, Trump's no. basement, not in the archive. But can't they go and look into the judge and what they asked the judge for, you know, and why? Yeah, they can, but, but the, they claim that they were looking for documents, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's not okay that they broke in. It's ridiculous. These yeah. are the archives, for God's sakes. Yeah. We're not talking about vital secrets here. We're not talking about they stole the Declaration of Independence. Mm. Uh, but the point is that they that that is not their real purpose. Their real purpose here is to dig up dirt and find compromising material, if possible, stuff linking him to the January 6th riots. And uh, that's the end game here. Uh, but it's not going to work. A, Trump didn't do it. B, it wasn't an insurrection to say that a group of unarmed they, – they didn't weren't even farmers with pitchforks. They were <laughs> kids with flags and, and, and bullhorns and yelled a lot. And one, I mean, to, to say that this was an insurrection is ludicrous. And they tried to sell this to the country. It hasn't worked. Trump still is getting the nomination. So now that we're actually it up one. It is not going to work. Let's go to Michael in Rockaway Beach. 
Hey, Michael. Yeah, Rob. How you doing, Dick? Thanks for taking Great. my call. Um, that was an interesting comment on Thomas Jefferson. But that concept <clears throat> that all men are created equal, I believe, originated from his Italian friend, Filippo Mizzei, who used to write correspondence to him from Italy. And then Filippo eventually came over, migrated to America, and brought with him the grapevines that he planted at Monticello. Wow, that's cool. Wow. That's cool. Well, let me pick up that story. Those grapevines matured into really good grapes. And um, a woman named, uh, and the Kluge family, John Kluge, they set up the Metro Media Network that then sold it to Fox uh, for a billion dollars or so, married uh, a woman named Patricia Kluge and, um, when he was 90. And they got divorced, <laughs> and uh, she remarried a really good guy named uh, Bill Moses, who, uh, with her, used the alimony money uh, to develop the vineyard and make a wine that is a wonderful Chardonnay and various other varieties. But her alimony was the interest on a billion dollars, <laughs> And when the interest rates were 7 or 8%, that was 70 or 80 million bucks a year. But they dropped 2 or 3%, and who can live on 20 to 30 million a year? Really? Come on. But, but the, the alimony included the house and the lands. So they, uh, so they brought out this wine, and then it took a lot of costs to maintain it, and they went, they were going to go bankrupt. <laughs> so they called, so the bank wanted the house back. So, uh, she called Trump. And she said, can you buy this from me? I'm going to lose it to the bank. And she quoted a price, and Trump said, I'm not paying that much for it. But he had an idea. He said, I will buy a perimeter around your house, one yard deep, so that nobody can enter or leave your house without setting foot on my land. Hmm. And I won't grant them an easement for access. Hmm. So after he did that, he went to the bank and said, now can we buy it back from you at a very cheap rate? <laughs> and uh, and he did. They could have jumped over three feet. But thanks for your call, Michael. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Okay, Ralph in New Jersey, bring it on, guy. Is Trump above the law now? Let me hear it. Yeah, well, considering that the pendulum is only swinging uh, one way right now, and you know, never mind the double standard. The Democrats really do not have a standard. It is more about that thing, that thing, and you know about that thing. That's my Joseph Biden imitation right there, the Animal Farm by George Orwell. I can't understand what you're saying. Uh, the question, though, you asked is, is Trump above the law? No, he's not, obviously. But the law is the key in the law is selective prosecution. If if you commit murder, you know you're going to be prosecuted. If you steal, you might be prosecuted. You might not, depending on who from and how much. If you lie under oath, the odds are you won't be prosecuted. You could be if it's egregious, but maybe not. And prosecutors have discretion as to what cases they pursue. And in this case, the prosecutor had vast discretion. Uh, would he raid Mar-a-Lago to get the documents? If the nuclear codes were in the documents right. and another country got it and they could blow up America, damn right you raid. If they're his personal notes about 
thanks for the golf clubs you gave me. Hmm. You're not going to wait. Hmm. And this is prosecutorial discretion. And Trump and we have to wait and see what kind of evidence they're producing. If they come up with the nuclear codes and that, we have to be sure it wasn't planted because they told all the Trump staff to get out the room or out of the room and turn off the cameras when they did the search. Turn off the cameras. Turn off the cameras. Huh. So there's uh, there is concern that they might have planted something, but we have to look at it. But the fact of raiding the home of a president, which does not happen to most people, uh, and is not within how the law treats most people. Uh, it treats drug dealers that way when it needs to seize the cocaine or counterfeiters that way when it needs to seize the currency. But they tend not to treat ex-presidents that way. And they shouldn't. So, yeah, uh, this is something that shouldn't be happening. My friend Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, Judith. Doing? Hi, guys, and hi, uh, daughter. I mean, yeah. what's her name? Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you over there. You sound so lovely. Uh, very nice voice, let me tell you. Yes. So, <laughs> what I want to say. Oh, God. You said um, we're under siege by tyrannical liars. Uh, yes. I'm yes, wondering what you mean by that. <laughs> okay. So, we are definitely, I feel that we are under siege by these tyrannical traitors and liars, by hook and by crook, because to, they're trying to fundamentally change this great country, Dick, into a Marxist-Communist slave mentality, trying to take yeah. away all of our constitutional freedmen's freedoms and God-given rights. Let me tell you something. This, this diabolical Democratic Party, they are the ones that are behind all this. Uh, the mainstream media, which basically are progressive activists, the DOJ, the FBI. By the way, the FBI now stands for Filthy Bastards Incorporated, <laughs> by the way. Um, the good. IRS. Now, the IRS, 80,000... Uh, IRS, they're going to be targeting small businesses, we'll, we'll conservatives, Trump I'll talk supporters. I'll length later, Judith. So let me get into that. But uh, you're right. But look, the important thing is we still have an election, and we still can win and will win this election by to Congress and then the next year to the presidency. Uh, so, um, so do not despair. Thank you, Judith. Now, the IRS... I believe this is the biggest single mistake the Democratic Party has made since uh, the 2020 election. Maybe one of its biggest mistakes of all time. They just passed a bill to double the size of the IRS and hire 87,000 agents who are authorized to carry firearms. That expands the number of people in the government who are allowed to have guns that work for the government from about 200,000 to 280,000, that kind of expansion. There are more, there'll be more, there'll be more civil employees authorized to carry guns than there are Marines. Wow. And, uh, and they think, and this extra force is to be able to audit and rummage through your garbage, <laughs> tap your phone, monitor your bank account, monitor all financial transactions you do, and subpoena you any information from you. And the Democrats think this is popular. <laughs> they think that this is a great achievement. And heralded, Biden succeeded and passed this bill, and hurrah. And it's going to be $350 million extra for the government. What a bunch of morons. Blumenthal, the senator from from Connecticut, who I hope will be defeated by Leora Levy this year, said that this is a great accomplishment and Americans are happy that the government will get this extra money. And the only way to make them happy was to inject a dose of class envy and say only really rich people who stiff the government and strong arm it and pay no taxes despite making billions, they will have to pay their fair share. But the fact is that 80% of the revenue from audits by the IRS are people making less than $75,000 a year. And half of and only 10% and I'm sorry 200,000 dollars a year and only 
some say 3% of the audit, of the revenue from audits, is from people making more than half a million dollars a year. Huh. The, when they say that they're going after the rich taxpayers, when, you, when you're doing this, you go after the low-hanging fruit. And the poor SOB that didn't file a tax return, even working as a bricklayer, and nothing was withheld from his wages, or the guy that's a cab driver and it's all a cash income, or the guy that runs a grocery store who's underreporting his income, or the waitress oh. that doesn't report tips, that's the low-hanging fruit. They can't afford lawyers. You can come after them. You can estimate their tip income and their cash income, and you can just move in and seize the dough. When you're going after one of the huge mega billionaires, uh, they have the most expensive lawyers, the fanciest tax loopholes, the best knowledge of tax shelters. And uh, and even if you find them, which you may not, it may be offshore, even if you're able to find them, it's a two-year litigation with appeals all the way up to the Supreme Court to collect a dime from them. So which are you going to do if you're the IRS sure. and your mission is not to punish rich people? They like to, but that's not their official duty. Their mission is come up with money. Uh, easy and road. Take the, the easy, easy pickings. Yeah. They will go after the average person. But that's not the worst. The worst is that this gives the government a tool for intimidation and blackmail and political intimidation. That is exactly what goes on in communist countries. Uh, Nick's father could probably tell you a lot about it. What they do is they first impose outrageous taxes and very detailed tax things. And when you don't, when people can't follow them, they raid them and they put a lien on them, they a levy on them, and they say, "Well, we could send you to jail, but we won't." So watch your step. Uh, don't criticize the government. Uh, I worked in Romania against the former communists, and there's a TV station there where the owner uh, won't say a single thing against the government because they have a tax lien over his head, and it means he goes to jail if he does that. And not for speaking out, but for taxes. And the goal here is to get something on everybody. Fascism. And here I absolutely believe that that is a key purpose of this. The So... This is what's going on with the IRS. We're going to go to a break now, but when we come back, I'll tell you what we can do about it, what we Republicans can do to stop this tyranny. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Why are you the secret agent man again? Well, because I worked for Donald Trump secretly and for Bill Clinton secretly for a long time. When I worked for Clinton, my code name was Charlie. <laughs> and um, and the, uh, hey, the president hey, asked Chuck. me to adopt a code name because he didn't want people to know I was working for him because I was sometimes a Republican back then. And, um, and he didn't want people to know. He always did not want the strings to show. Uh, and he would literally interrupt cabinet meetings to go take a call from Charlie. <laughs> and I wonder if the uh, CIA and the FBI spent a lot of time trying to figure out who the hell Charlie and they was. Knew right away. Yeah. Um, but uh, what the, here's what the Republicans should do about the IRS. The bill that passed Congress is an authorization bill that says you are allowed to – we authorize you to set up this program and hire these agents. But they can't spend any money until an appropriations bill is passed. You need authorization and appropriations to spend money in the government. The appropriations bill will now pass routinely under this Congress. But then in 23-24, the next fiscal year, it has to be reappropriated. The authorization doesn't have to pass again, but the appropriation does. And that requires a simple majority under the same rationale of the reconciliation that they used to hire them in the first place. So I believe what the Republicans should do is refuse to appropriate that money, defund it, 
in language wow. of the left, ah. and uh, pass an appropriations bill that has all the money for the IRS but deletes the money for these agents. Biden's going to veto it. We will refuse to pass a bill with that money included, and there'll be a government shutdown, the sixth one we've had in the last uh, 30 years. In four of the other five ones, the Republicans lost uh, because they did all kinds of stuff. They said, oh, we want defunding to shrink government or to promote or to oppose abortion or to all kinds of stuff. They threw the kitchen sink in there, <laughs> and the voters didn't like that. But this shutdown, if they do it right, would be all about the IRS agents. It would be the only difference between the two budgets. The American people are not about to vote to have 87,000 people going through their house, their garbage, mm. their bank account, their land records, their heirs, their financial mm. things, what they do for a living. They're not about to do that. You have to be a crazy masochist to do that. And the, believe it or not, the Democrats aren't, the public is not that crazy. Now, there's something incredibly important that Donald Trump announced two weeks ago in his speech to the American First uh, Priorities Council, where he outlined his second-term agenda, at least as far as law and order goes. And one of the things he said was that he is going to, he didn't put it this way, but in effect it is, he's going to eliminate the civil service at the federal level. Uh, He did this in the VA, where the service to the vets was so terrible that he passed a law, Congress passed a law saying that they could fire a VA official uh, without uh, without any of the procedures that he had to go through if he were on civil service. You could hire at will, you could fire at will, you could raise or lower the salaries at will, hmm. just like it's true with you and me. And they would not have the extra protection of the civil service. And what Trump is proposing is to do that for the entire swamp, so that nobody that works for the federal government would have civil service protection. They could all be hired and fired and promoted and demoted Hmm. at will. Now, originally, that's the way the government worked. And uh, under Andrew Johnson, Andrew Jackson, the seventh president, they inaugurated what they called the spoils system. It was the first time that any president had been elected with a mass organization supporting him, not just a few landowners, but hundreds and thousands of people. And after the election, Jackson gave them all jobs, and he put them all into the federal government, tens of thousands of employees. And uh, when the country raised hell about it, saying you're just paying off your people, he said, look, I'm taking office as president to make a fundamental change in this country. I want to democratize it. I want to take it away from the elites. And I want there to be popular control. And to do that, I want the entire government to reflect my policies. So I can't do that with the old federalists who were hired by the Adams family and those folks uh, because they don't believe in this policy. So I'm going to hire people that will go along with my program. And that's how things started in 1826. And the, uh, but after the Civil War in particular, the, the partisanship became so intense and the government had grown to such extent in the Civil War, millions of jobs, not just hundreds of thousands, that the patronage was unbelievable and it completely had taken over the government. In fact, James Garfield was assassinated by somebody, the 20th president, by somebody who wanted a job and couldn't get the job and was frustrated and mad at him. So when Garfield's vice president, Chester A. Arthur, came in, he said, this is enough. I got to pass civil service reform, which says we'll give away these jobs not based on political appointment but based on tests, merit. And in 1882, the merit system took place, and that has prevailed ever since. But increasingly, it's being used to shelter bureaucrats. You have these folks who have worked for 40 years who make 200000 a year, and the presidents come and go every four years, and they say, hey, I'm the civil servant in charge of the EPA, in charge of the environment. I don't give a damn what your environmental policy is, Mr. President or Mr. Congress. 
I'll tell you what my policy is. I've worked here for 40 years. You'll be gone in a few years, and I'll I'll still be here. Mm. And I've set up a whole network here in the agency of my friends and people I recommended and people that think like I do. And I'm the de facto administrator of the, the EPA or the Interior Department or the Bureau of Land Management or any of the uh, departments in the bureaucracy. And uh, I don't really care who the elected president is. Bill Clinton told me once, he said, being president is like running a cemetery. <laughs> you have thousands of people under you, but nobody listens to you. <laughs> and the biggest problem we had was getting the bureaucracy to follow our leadership. I'll give you a, an interesting example. Uh, we uh, Clinton wanted to pass a program to make community college free. And eventually he did. The reason Sanders is saying it now is that they, the states just raised the tuition so it wasn't free and they kept money for themselves. Oh, that's nice. But, but the Department of Education opposed this reform, saying that we want this money to go into more bureaucrats and more personnel supervisors and all that, not free college. It didn't build their bureaucracy. And we had to fight like animals to get this thing approved. I went to a meeting with the education top officials of the department, and they were arguing how terrible this was to give out scholarships for community college. And finally, after I argued it back and forth, I said, listen, guys, you know the president? He's tall, has kind of a southern accent, uh, looks kind of kind of strange. Uh, this comes from him. He wants this, and you all work for him, and you damn well better do it. And uh, it, it was a big big fight. Uh, But ultimately I won. I lost because the states violated it by raising tuition. Mm. But to get the civil service to move is very hard. That is the essence of the swamp. And and over time, look, the people who who want to work at the EPA are environmentalists. The people who want to work in the interior want to protect the interior. The people who work on oil and gas leases want to make money for the government. So their orientation is always in favor of the bureaucracy, in favor of the left. It's it's built in. And to change it is almost impossible. And now Donald Trump has proposed the answer. He said no longer are political parties patronage machines. No longer are the jobs that they give out very important to people. Their donors are very rich people or mass donors that we get from the Internet. And the danger of filling these jobs with corrupt officials is far, far less than the danger of having them disregard what elected officials say by because of their civil service status. You detail that in your book, don't you? I read. Yeah, that. we talk yeah. a lot about that. Uh-huh. It's in uh, the return, uh-huh. uh, and it is the most fundamental reform that he's proposed. It totally changed our government, and the bureaucracy will become responsive because if they don't, they're out on their butts. Why should they have more protection than you and I, you and I have in our jobs? And uh, we do the will of our bosses because we work for them. And in this case, the boss is the elected official. So the civil service types are going to go away in the second Trump term. Bye-bye, baby. Better get married. Good riddance. <laughs> That's right. In Europe, you know, the the EU is run by bureaucrats. The elected officials have almost no role. There's a council of ministers that runs the EU, which is the other prime ministers. They're selected by their parties, and the and they and and they have a very limited power in the council of ministers, and there are thirty of them because they can't get anything done. And there's a European Parliament that's directly elected, but it has no power. It can't pass anything that the Council of Ministers and the bureaucracy have not recommended. And Japan is kind of the same way. When I got the Prime Minister of Japan elected, he told me that he was allowed to appoint three people 
<laughs> a secretary, a typist, and somebody else, <laughs> a scheduler. It. And that was it. Other than a that, driver? To, he, uh, I guess. Maybe. And he had to work with the, had to work through the civil service to get anything done. Um, so, so the, this plague of bureaucracy is the cancer that destroys democracy. And Trump is really proposing aggressive steps to deal with it. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. One of the things in my book that really you should buy it and read it as a return is that I detail my dealings with Donald Trump throughout the 2020 election, um, including one moment when I came to him and said, this freaking piece of cloth, and I didn't say freaking, <laughs> that they want you, you to wear over your mouth. You cursed? That is what's standing between you and the second term. All Biden does is hide behind that stupid black mask in his basement, and you won't wear it. And that's the only point of distinction that's important in this race. When you poll people, that's what they talk about. Wear the effing mask. <laughs> freaking, uh, freaking you meant. Well, I freaking. as good as freaking. <laughs> and, um, and he said, I, he was really intimidated because I came on really strong. And he said, uh, do I have to wear it all the time when I speak? I said, wear it on the way to the podium, then take it off when you give your speech, and then put it back on ostentatiously when your speech is over. And he said, well, I'm going to the VA to uh, the Walter Reed Hospital next week, and I'll wear it because uh, in the hospital it's appropriate. Right. And, uh, and then he wore it, didn't wear it. But at one point I asked Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, who ran the campaign, about it. And he said, he has to wear the mask. This is crazy. And I said, well, Jared, you're his son-in-law. You tell him. And Jared said, no, you tell him. <laughs> Kill a message yeah. type of thing? Well, <laughs> lack of guts. <laughs> That's funny. Let's go to Mike in Bergen County. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you, Dave? Okay. Thanks, so much. Thanks so much for your show and your incredible voice of reason over the years. Thank uh, you. I'm a business person out of Bergen County, and I've been in the political landscape for years. I have a question. What is the psychology of the Democratic voter today, given the fact that the politicians we see today are serving themselves rather than serving the people? If we go back to JFK and before, this was a different type of Democrat moving forward, even Bill Clinton in his early days. But are they going to move in a direction where they're going to put party affiliation aside and say, hey, look, no, we're really no, they can, they're just going to dig in Uh Look at the history of left-wing parties in the world when they lose elections. They always move further left. Uh, after Jimmy Carter lost to Ronald Reagan, their next two candidates were Dukakis and um, and Mondale. And when uh, Thatcher defeated Callahan in Britain, the next two candidates of the Labor Party were Foote and Kinnock, crazy leftists. Only after a decade did the Labor Party get sanity and get put up Blair and the Democrats nominated Clinton? But you asked the first question, what motivates the Democratic voters now? What is their worldview? We have to understand that they are globalists. America is a geographic term to them. The important thing is the globe, the world. So when we say uh, there were X number of murders this year, People assume we're talking about in the U.S. They wouldn't be. They'd be thinking, how many are there in the world? And their entire perspective is global. And one reason for that is that their business is global. They deal all the time with people from other countries, mm. and they don't much more than they deal with South Dakota. They deal with Germany more than South Dakota. So why should they care about what's happening in South Dakota? They care about what's happening in Germany. And they're an elite global class that lives in sheltered places like New York and in high-income housing, high-income offices, and really have no more connection with what's going on with the American people 
then in hot weather, they feel the weather because they're in their air conditioning all the time. And they don't feel 100 degrees outside because they're never outside. Good they don't feel inflation. They don't feel gas prices. Their chauffeur pays it. Uh, they don't feel uh, inflation's not bothersome. Their incomes are high enough. They have their problems with the IRS, but they have their accountants to handle it. And they lead the sheltered, cloistered life that leads them to put – well, for example, right now in Britain – the compliance with the net zero policy that by 2030 Britain will have a net zero emission of carbon. That policy is costing Britain so much money and so many high electric rates, like a quadrupling of electric rates because they have to use very expensive renewable energy and when it breaks down, they have to have standby power and it drives up the bill so much that they are now predicting that 10% 10% of Britain that is now not poor will be put in what they're calling energy poverty as a result of the anti-global warming stuff. And they're globalists. They don't see anything wrong with that. And that's the that's the essential difference in the motivations of the party. Let's go to Pete in Brooklyn. Hi, Pete. Hi, uh, Mr. Morris. Pleasure to talk to you, sir. Good to talk to you. A uh, couple little things. You know, sir, the thing is, they fear Trump. That's the bottom line. Yes, the is. Democrats will steal this election again. Okay? No, With they the won't, Pete. They will not. And the reason they will not, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but let me do it again because the mainstream media is boycotting it. They're not talking about it. There is a case coming up in the Supreme Court called Moore, the Moore versus um, uh, Harper. Moore versus Harper. And it, the, it's being brought by conservatives in North Carolina who actually can read. And they read the Constitution. And in Article 1, Section 4, look it up. It says the times, places, and manner of choosing the states, the U.S. Senate and the Congress shall be determined by the state legislatures. Mm-hmm. And over the years, that's come to mean the states, the governor, the legislatures, the courts. They all get together and set the rules. And these conservatives are strict constructionists. And they say, can you read? It says the legislatures. And they go back in history and they show that when the Constitution was written, they were afraid of authoritarian dictatorships in the states and in the executive office. They were very concerned about it in the presidency, but also in the governorships. And they felt the repository of democracy was in Congress and in the legislatures. That's why Article One of the Constitution is not about the presidency. It's about Congress, because they all had a legislative-focused view, because they thought that's really what protects democracy. So the court, the challenge the court says that governors and state courts and secretaries of state have no jurisdiction over the rules of the election. And when they say drop boxes are okay, or we want signature veri- we we don't want signature verification because it suppresses the turnout uh and we do not want we don't want photo IDs cuz it again deters people from voting they do not have the right to do that if the legislature wants voter ID and no drop boxes and signature verification and wants to draw lines that favor the Republican party it's their right to do it and the governor can have no say in it. So already we have laws that are very good that will stop ballot fraud in Florida, Georgia, and Arizona, and the Republican governors have signed it. But in Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and North Carolina, we have Republican legislatures who passed great bills, but they're being vetoed by Democratic governors. And this decision strips the governor's of the power of veto over that, strips it completely. I had Rudy Giuliani on my Newsmax television show, and I asked him, will this solve the problem of ballot fraud? And he said, unequivocally, absolutely, yes, it will. Let's go to Brian in Kansas. Hey, Brian. Hey, Dick. Hey, I have a question about a comment you made probably a couple months ago regarding, uh, you had a caller that called in and asked about uh, Ukraine and basically the U.S. CIA involvement 
in the 2014 overthrow of their, their uh, officials of president. And you made a comment, you seem to kind of take issue with them about the CIA's involvement in, in the coup. CIA's involvement in, in what coup? What country? In Ukraine's coup in 2014, the second one. There was a 2004 and 2014. There was no coup in 2014. I was there. And uh, there was an election that was rigged. The, the vote count was transparently, obviously wrong. The court ruled that it's wrong, threw it out, and the president, who was a Russian puppet, refused to call a new election. And the uh, dem- democratic forces, the orange forces, spent four months outside, outdoor in Kiev, in the freezing sub-zero cold, demanding an election. And they wouldn't let traffic move in Kiev, and it paralyzed the country. And as a result of that, the president fled with multiple millions of bucks, a horribly corrupt guy. And they chose Yashenko, who is my client, who was a staunch Democrat, so staunch that the KGB poisoned him right. and um, destroyed his face and almost took his life. But there was no coup there. Wasn't that your idea, Dick, to get the people out? Yeah. In public? Yeah, it was. That was your... And I, I told them that, uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, we talked today about a bunch of stuff. We talked about that horrible Mar-a-Lago break-in and my thought that it's a fishing expedition to try to dig up evidence that Trump wanted to topple the government so he gets ruled out of the the 24 election. We talked about the IRS and the way the Republicans have to defund the extra agents. So see you all next week. Have a nice weekend. Buy his book. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.